0: If you love God, you'll love his word. If you love God, you'll love to be with him. And if you don't like to be with him and you don't like his word, then you have to wonder how much you love him. You should do an inventory of your heart and look at your life. If your life has been prayerless, you should repent of that. If you've never picked up the Bible, you should repent of that. I know you don't hear that kind of preaching much, but I'm just gonna call it what it is. I don't care if you say, oh, but I really love him inside. Listen, your life will show it if it's there. What I wanna do is I wanna take a few moments, I wanna talk about a passage that's very familiar to most people. I think, unfortunately, what happens is most people are more familiar with the first couple of verses than they are the last uh, verse, which is the most important part of the passage. And I wanna talk to you about healing and praying for the sick. Now, it's something we do every single Sunday, and so we're gonna pray for the sick at the close of the message. So if you have a need physically, uh, then be encouraged. God wants to touch you. He wants to bring healing to your body. And we're gonna do this at all of the campuses. So I wanna talk to you about James chapter five, where James starts by saying in verse 14, is anyone sick among you? And that word sick, it's, it's an interesting word because it could be used a couple of different ways. It could be used speaking of, is anybody weak? Is anybody worn out? The word is used in Romans chapter 14 to describe the weaker brother, also in 1 Corinthians chapter eight. So um, when you're coming forward to be prayed for, maybe it's just you're overwhelmed by life. Maybe it's that you're depressed. Maybe it's that you're struggling emotionally. Maybe it's just you're spiritually tired, and certainly the call to pray for the sick is appropriate in any one of those situations to have somebody who would join with you, who would anoint you with oil, and believe that God would touch you in that situation. It also, though, includes all kinds of physical sickness, so it can be used in, in either context. As you come, it's, it's what God has given us as a means for seeing sick people be made whole. James goes on and he tells us that the sick person is to call for the elders of the church. Let him call for the elders of the church. I want you to notice something. It's the job of the sick person to take the initiative. Sometimes, People are sick, and they think no one cares. When the real problem is, no one knows because you haven't told anybody. Because you haven't been you haven't been willing to share what your need is. And so, the sick person exercises faith by calling for the elders or responding to the fact that the elders are there. And who are the elders? The elders are the people, In James River people say, well, do you have elders? We do. Our pastors are elders. And in the New Testament, elder, pastor, presbyter, they're all synonymous terms. And what happens is, because of the need of the people and the size of the congregation, we as elders have delegated the authority to pray for the sick to those who feel God has called them to do that and who have completed the class that we have so that there is some instruction as they do that. So they function, it's not that they are technically elders, but they are operating under the delegated authority of the elders. The elder's job then is to pray over the sick person and let them pray over him. So they're going to pray as people come. Now, here's one of the things that I think can happen to people. They can say, well, you know, I don't really feel like going forward. I don't feel like standing in line. I don't really think I have to do that. God can do me. Listen, when you start Saying, I don't care what the Word of God says, what I, all I want to do is what I feel comfortable doing or what I want to do. When you operate in that vein, you are automatically going to miss out on the blessing God would do if you would be obedient to his Word. In fact, I'm going to take it a step further. When we're in the worship setting and you have Don or Eli or Annie or wherever at whatever campus you're at, the worship leader, when they get up and they say, let's lift our hands and worship the Lord, if you're saying, you know what, I don't feel like lifting my hands and I'm not going to do it just because they tell me to do it, I'm only going to do it like somehow it's more pure if you do it because you thought of it. Probably was more selfish if you thought of it. Because you're only thinking about, I only do what I want to do, nobody tells me what to do, and what you've missed is that they're up here under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, being led by the Spirit of God, so when they're speaking, actually the Spirit of God is speaking through it through them, and so when you refuse that, you say, I'm not going to do that, what you're simply saying is, God, I don't care what anybody else says, I only do what I want to do because my comfort's more important to me than my following, what you're prompting in the service as these leaders are anointed to lead us. Into the presence of the Lord. I think we have to really think carefully. Listen, when they say raise your hands, I'm raising my hand. And I don't think who are they to tell me to raise my hand? I'm the lead pastor. I think, no, they're up there in the presence of the Lord, called by God to lead us into the presence of the Lord. And if God is prompting them for people to lift their hands, then I'm all over it because whatever I have to do to get as close as I possibly can to the presence of the Lord, I'm gonna do that. And a part of that comes through the submission to leadership that is godly and anointed. And we have godly and anointed worship leaders, let me say that. So. The idea is that you and I would respond to them. And the elders are to anoint the sick person, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So the question is, okay, what's the oil about? And I think there's there's three things we could say about the oil. First of all, it's an act of obedience. So we anoint people with oil because God said to do that. If there's no other reason than God said do it, that'd be a good reason, right? So God tells us to do that. Second, oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, when somebody was anointed with oil, the Holy Spirit came down on them. When you read about David being anointed, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David. He's just a young boy. He's just out in the fields. He's the guy out of Jesse's sons. They didn't even bother to bring him in for Samuel to see him because they're like, surely God isn't going to pick him until God does. And in the presence of the brothers, and from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Listen, what could happen to you is when you're anointed with oil, there's a power of the Lord to touch you in that moment to bring healing. To bring a work if you're weak to make you strong. So we anoint because it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit and, and, and the Spirit of God comes down in that moment. Third, we anoint. Because Jesus instructed his disciples to anoint people. Look at it in Mark chapter 6. Calling the 12 to him, he sent them out two by two. Listen, this is why there's, is, there is, I think, several things involved here. First of all, there's a power in agreement. So you have two. Jesus never sends the disciples out alone. He always sends them two by two. When he sends the 70 or the 72 out in Luke chapter 10, there, it's two by two. You so I could have covered a lot more ground if he would sent 12 out individually. They'd have been in 12 places instead of six places. He's not as interested in volu- volume as he is in agreement. And it's important, especially in our day, there's a protection to you and to the people praying when we have two people here. We also are very careful, we, if you're waiting in line, let me just say this, if you're a, a lady, we're not going to send you to two men. Because if your problem is personal, that's not something the men need to be praying with you about. We want to have women who are praying with you, or a couple who's praying with you, so we're very careful about that. But notice it says they went out and preached that people should repent and they drove many demons. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil, and they healed them. So Jesus' disciples anointed the sick, and they were healed. So when you come to James chapter five, James says, "In the prayer of faith, we'll save," which I, it really is a poor translation. And you say, "What? Well, why is it a? What happened here?" Really, in church history, the the church for four centuries understood that this was talking about healing of sick people. And then when Jerome translated the the Greek and the Hebrew into the Vulgate, the Latin Bible, he switched sozo to salvo, which is salvation. And that affected Catholic doctrine from there on and changed an understanding that the church had relative to this verse i think it was something the enemy did to try to take away something that is really the birthright of every child of god and that's healing in jesus name so the word there is sozo which could be translated it can be translated save but it's it's often in the new testament translated make well heal or cure and the prayer of faith will cure the prayer of faith will make well The prayer of faith will heal the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. So there's a work of the Lord that happens in that moment as they're praying. The Lord is at work in that moment, making you well. But notice the last part of the verse and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And what that's not saying is that as they pray for you, if you have sins, those sins are taken care of. We get an idea of what it's talking about when we look at verse 16. But first of all, let me just say this. You can see a relationship in the verse between sinfulness and sickness. Some sickness is caused by sin. Now, let me be clear with everybody. I'm not saying if you're sick, it's because you have sin in your life. But you may. So I don't want anybody walking out the pastor thinks I haven't been healed because I have sin in my life. That's not what I said. But I am saying there are many people who are not healed because they have not applied what this verse and the next verse have to say about prayer for the sick. And there are things that God wants to do in us as he does things for us. God cares about the purity of our heart. God cares about the condition of our life and the way in which we serve him. In the Bible, you see clearly the connection between sin and sickness. So for example, you go to John chapter five and Jesus sees the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus comes up to him and says, do you wanna be healed? Do you wanna be well? And the man says, well, you know, the problem is angel comes down, stirs the water. I try to get over to the edge because there's the idea that if, if the water is stirred, first one in gets healed. We don't know if that happened or not. It might have happened, we don't know. But his, his view is people keep getting in the pool before me. Nobody will help me get in the pool. And that's why I'm in the condition I'm in. And Jesus says, no, do you want to be made well? And long story short, he tells the man to get up. He walks. It's the Sabbath. The man walks out. Jesus finds him later. In the temple. So the Pool of Bethesda is outside the temple, but now he's up in the temple courts. Watch what happens. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. What's that telling us? The man was a paralytic because of sin. And Jesus is saying, You think that was bad? It could get a lot worse if you don't straighten up your life. So there is a connection in, people, in, in people's sickness at times where God is actually using sickness to discipline his children. This is not foreign to scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, he's talking about the communion service and people who come in and are flippant about their relationships with other people. They're not caring about people. They're not concerned about other people. They're just doing their own thing. Don't eat anybody else. Don't care about anybody else. It's just me and Jesus, and that's all that counts. And Paul says, because of that kind of attitude, which is sin, watch this, that is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. What's that saying? You can have attitudes of sinful indifference to brothers and sisters in the body that can result in weakness and sickness, even death. And we're not talking about a few. He's not saying, and you know, there's a few of you. He says, no, there's a lot of you. This then should cause every single one of us to stop and to think this through a little bit because honestly, whom the Lord loves, Hebrews chapter 12, we're gonna get to this, he disciplines. As a father disciplines his children. No discipline is pleasant at the time, but is painful, right? That's what This is what the writer of Hebrews says. And Paul is saying God can use discipline over sin. He can use sickness to discipline people. And some people, he says, you know what? If I let you keep on going, you're going to destroy my body. And I love my body too much and you too much to let that continue. So your time on earth is over. This is very sobering to think about this but it's certainly in scripture that we would give thought to that some people are sick because of the sin they tolerate attitudinally because of the sin of indifference so let's let's take it out of the realm of some of the more overt and obvious sins that that we could name whether it's sexual sins whether it's its sins that that would be on, the, on your top list of worst sins, and let's take it into bitterness, let's take it into envy, let's take it into jealousy, let's take it into gossip, let's take it into indifference toward brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And what, what James is saying is, when you come to be prayed for, you've got to consider not just your need for healing, but you have to, you have to consider the condition of your service to God. John G. Lake says this I want to tell you when you begin to analyze the subject of sickness, you will discover that usually the difficulty is that there is sin behind it. Now, John G. Lake, you say, who is he? He was a faith healer in the early 1900s and was very well known and was very effective in faith healing ministry. Uh, A lot of people would say, who are very familiar with his ministry, he was 100 years ahead of his time. So he understood a great deal about healing, and he would say that usually the difficulty is that there is sin behind it. So when you have somebody who is frequently prayed for, And they're not healed, then you've got to begin to do some diagnostic. Now, again, I'm not saying that everybody who's not healed has sin in their life. So let's not, but let's also say that if many are sick in Corinth because of sin, then we can say that in a body of believers, it is possible there are there are sinful attitudes or sinful indifferences that affect the healing. Just like there could be demonic activity. There's a lot of things that can go in to a sickness, and sometimes it's a person's indifference toward God. Not necessarily that there's an act of sin or some personal sin, but more likely the laziness of our soul or the inactivity of our spirit or the neglect of God's word. Listen, you know what he's saying? Some people are coming forward, and they never read their Bible, but they're wanting to be healed. So they're more interested in the gift than they are the giver. And that doesn't work. Now, listen, let's not make the mistake of skewing our doctrine and our theology to the exception because we all know people who were not living for God and were healed. So God's gracious and God does a lot of things, but let's take the Scripture at face value and say, what is the Scripture saying? And let's listen to somebody who's seen a lot of people healed, and how does he view sin and sickness relative to James chapter 5? That's what we're talking about here. He says... Not necessarily that there's an act of sin or some personal sin, but more likely the laziness of our soul. Listen, are you indifferent to God? Are you zealous for God? Do you really care about the things of God? Or all week, have you lived the kind of life that cares little about the things of God, but now you're coming forward to be prayed for, and it's not that it couldn't happen, but I'm just saying, if you really need healing, then you need to do an inventory of your heart. And listen, that should be true of every single one of us. Regularly, repentance is a daily activity of the Christian where when you find something's not right about the way you're walking with God, you turn from it. You acknowledge it before God and you say, I'm not going to do that. So let's not be all shocked that God might not heal somebody because they have a crummy attitude. So this is what he's saying. He's saying, or neglect of God's word, or neglect of faith and love and prayer. So you're not ever praying. You have have zero prayer life, but you want to come forward and have people lay hands on you and be healed. That's not going to be effective. Or you don't believe. You're like, I don't know I even believe this. But I guess I'll go. Well, you know what? Then maybe you'll be healed. Because God is gracious and the people who pray for you certainly have faith. But the idea is analyze yourself. Read on to what he says. These are the things that usually underlie and generate difficulties in men's life. Next, God will heal you when you repent and confess your sin and your need of him. How God loves to answer prayer, how God loves an honest repentance, how God loves that soul that is big enough to pour out his heart in prayer and pour out his tears with it. How many of you have confessed your sin to God who have come for healing? How many of you have really asked God to save you out of your sins and meant it? How many of you have really put yourself on God's altar? That's what gets the pathway clear. Then he goes on and says this God's chariot will come down the road when the stones are taken away. That was worth coming to church for, right there. I mean, honestly, that's a good word. James 5, verse 15. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. What is he talking about? Next verse, it says, therefore. And there's two steps. Number one, before you come here, you should repent. I mean, you should, you should do an inventory of your heart and say, God is, have, and look at your life. If your life has been prayerless, you should repent of that. If you've never picked up the Bible, you should repent of that. I know you don't hear that kind of preaching much, but I'm just going to call it what it is. If you love God, you'll love his word. If you love God, you'll love to be with him. And if you don't like to be with him and you don't like his word, then you have to wonder how much you love him. I don't care if you say, oh, but I really love him inside. Listen, your life will show it if it's there. I love Debbie. I raced to get, you know, earlier in the week, a week ago, I sent Savannah flowers. I've done that for Savannah for years, and this is a real husband deal. I sent my daughter flowers and didn't send my wife flowers. And I was like, oh, snap. Now, here's what happens. Here's the way. I got an excuse, so ladies, bear with me. We were on vacation, have a nice dinner, really nice dinner, and we're like, this will be our Valentine's dinner. But that was then and this is now. And today's Valentine's Day. You know, you can say that all you want. Guys, when she, when she says, this is that, and you don't have to worry about it, what you say is, if I'm smart, I will worry about it. <laughs> so I come in and I say to my, one of my admin assistants, I say, hey, I got a huge favor. I need you to call every florist you can call. And find out which one will have mercy on me. And get her some flowers. So she got her flowers. Okay. Because I love her. Now, why am I saying that? Because if you love somebody, you're going you're gonna to go the extra mile to take care of them. But you're going to go to the Lord, and you're going to repent. Assumed in the text is that before you come to be healed, you'll be taking care of things in your life that are not right. In other words, if you know sin can cause sickness if you know that a lack of devotion to the Lord offends the Lord. Listen, if you had a really, you, you had somebody and you said, you're my best friend, and then you never spent any time with them, how would they feel about that? So I think we have to realize, we have to take an inventory of where we're at with the Lord Number two, then you confess what you repented over. Look at this. Therefore, I mean, because all that other stuff is true, and your sins can be forgiven, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you might be healed. We're still talking about healing. This is just taking us back to what we just read. So what happens is you're coming to the elders... You're not going to everybody, you're not getting in a a group and going around the circle and everybody telling their sin, that's ridiculous and it'll get you in trouble. Because not everybody can handle that kind of interaction. And sometimes you're laying something on people they have no capacity to handle and they don't know what to do with and it's not fair to them and it's not good for you. But when you're coming to be prayed for, what you would do is you would say, you know what, I just want to say right now, I've repented before the Lord but I've not, I've not been serving him like I should and like I want to, and I've repented and I'm just confessing that to you, or I've, I've had unforgiveness in my heart towards somebody in the church or somebody wherever, toward whoever, however, or I've been I've been gossiping and the Lord has convicted me and I need to be healed. But I'm I'm I want to be right with Lord the Lord because my relationship with the healer is more important than my own healing. And I've repented before Him and on the authority of James five sixteen I'm confessing to you of my repentance. You say, well, I think my repentance is just between me and God. Well, that's not what James says. James says what happens, and and here's why. You say, why why would God want us to do that? Because the way you get rid of darkness is you turn on the light. And see, the way you get over, the way you, you dispel that grip of sin on your life or that grip of indifference on your life is you admit it, you acknowledge it, And 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 what happens is all of a sudden it floods your life with the light and the glory of the Lord. There's something about confession that dispels the power of darkness and really creates the environment where not only God can begin working in your life in a thousand other ways, but his healing can begin to flow in your body physically. He's saying, if you're sick, take inventory, make it right with God, and then confess your sin. You say, then what happens? That you might be healed. Look what the last part of the verse says. It says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So, you know, you could say, well, I want to make sure I get get the right people. Listen, all you need is a righteous person. And if they're a righteous person, their prayer is powerful and effective. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I don't want to talk anymore. I want to pray. God wants to heal people, but God, who cares if God heals your body, but your soul and your spirit is still really whacked out? Who cares if God heals you, but you don't walk with him? Who cares if God heals you, but you don't even have an appetite for his word? How's that going to help you in the long term? It's not at all. You actually could be worse off because at the very least, your illness makes you look to God in a way, and to desire him because you're like, I I want that. But I'm I'm just saying God wants to, he wants to work in our life. And this is part of the discussion and part of the inventory. And James is very clear that repentance and confession precede healing.